Welcome to the Radiant Podcast. We are so glad you joined us today. This podcast features messages, interviews, and discussions from Radiant Church located in Seneca, South Carolina. For more information about Radiant, visit RadiantChurchSC.com. Here's today's episode. Welcome to Radiant Church. My name is Andrew. I'm the lead pastor, and we're so glad you could join us today from wherever you're watching or listening from. If this is your first time joining us, do us a favor. Go online and head to our website. Go to RadiantChurchSC.com. Click I'm New and fill out that short form online for us. And as a way of saying thanks, we're going to donate $5 to one of the nonprofits that's listed right there. Well, I've really enjoyed this teaching series, and I hope you have too. I'm certainly sad to see it come to an end today, but you know, hey, all good things have to come to an end, right? Or so they say. If you haven't caught the other talks, though, I really want to encourage you, go back and listen to them. We have covered a lot of things in this month. Uh, from five lies the enemy tells, which can make things more complicated, to having a successful marriage, uh, to even why being single is an important gift that many of you watching and listening have for just a limited amount of time. See, the reality is this, that life is complicated, right? It's the whole point of this series. But it doesn't have to be, not if we do things God's way, all right? So we're going to wrap things up today by unpacking what I think is one of the most complicated subject matters out there. It complicates your life, whether you're married or single or a parent or a student, doesn't really matter. We're going to unpack and uncomplicate money with this last teaching. Now, I'm going to be really honest. This talk's going to have more of like an insider feel to it because people who've been in church or have been Christians for a long time, uh, they might be familiar with this subject, right? Uh, but that doesn't mean that if you're, this is all new for you, that I, I want you not to pay attention. On the contrary, I want you to really zone in and pay attention to what we're talking about here today because uh, I want you to learn what the Bible says concerning finances. There's so much incorrect and awful teaching out there, and I don't want you to fall for that nonsense, okay? And I don't want you to believe that the church only cares about money too. So I want you, if this is all brand new, to still listen and pay attention to this teaching here today, okay? So we're going to get right to it because it's kind of a long teaching. So let's jump to a little known book in the Old Testament called Haggai. Now Haggai was a minor prophet, okay? We call him minor prophet. Um, he's not minor in the sense that he had nothing important to say. He's minor because we don't have many of his writings or sayings. In fact, we're going to come back this fall later in the year and we're going to do an entire teaching series on the minor prophets. And I promise you, those teachings, boy, will they stretch you and challenge you like you ain't been stretched or challenged before, okay? It's going to be really good. But in Haggai's day, the Jewish people are back from their exile. They've spent almost 100 years living in what is today Iraq and Iran under the Persian Empire, and they're home now, right? And they've come back. Their nation is in tatters. They're trying to rebuild everything, rebuild their culture, their lives, all that. Um, if you know the stories of guys like Ezra and Zechariah, the rebuilding of the temple, all that kind of stuff. This is the time period that Haggai lives in, okay? And, and those guys are his contemporaries. Now, they do rebuild the temple in this time period, but very early on in Haggai's time, when Haggai is prophesying here, the rebuilding actually stopped. So what happens is they face stiff opposition to rebuilding God's temple, and it stops for like around 15 years or so. And they're taking care of themselves, but they're neglecting the temple. And so it's in this context that God sends the prophet Haggai to the people and listen to what the Lord says through his prophet. Haggai chapter 1 verse number 5, okay? This is what the Lord of Heaven's army says. Look what's happening to you. You've planted much but harvest little. So what's happening here is the people, they're working hard but they've got next to nothing to show for it. Ever felt like that before? He goes on and says, hey, you eat 
but you're not satisfied. You drink, but you're still thirsty. You put clothes on, but you can't keep warm. Your wages disappear as though you were putting them in holes filled with pockets. Now, how do you guys feel like that? You know, that, that feels like real life, doesn't it? This is what the Lord of Heaven's army says. Look at what is happening to you. So notice God is calling the people to some self-reflection here at the end. He's saying, hey, take a look at how you're living. He's saying, now there's two things which, which lead to you know, marital conflicts, I think, more than, than anything else. One is parenting. The other one is, is, is money. And uh, money being the number one issue causing conflicts here. Two things which lead to a lot of conflicts, money being number one in marriages. I would argue, though, it doesn't matter if you're married or not, that finances in general can cause conflicts and headaches for people. And so what makes those conflicts so bad is that most people don't want to talk about their money problems, right? They'd rather just kind of sweep everything under their rug and hope that someone comes along who can bail them out. Uh, by the way, this is especially true in church circles, right? There has been so much abuse, so much outright, you know, lying from the pulpit, so many mistruths and scandals, you name it, with finances, that nobody wants to touch this stuff with a 10-foot pole. But if you don't talk about an issue, how can you ever correct it, right? You know, how can you address it properly? So at Radiant, we're not going to be shy when it comes to speaking about money. Uh, you need to know the truth of what Scripture teaches. And I can't give that to you if we don't talk about it. And, and you need to know how to handle your finances in a very healthy manner as well. Because, see, money can complicate things. And, and not handling money God's way, well, that can leave you in a place like the Jewish people were in Haggai. You know who else knew this, by the way? Jesus, right? Yeah, Jesus knew a lot about this. In fact, Jesus taught twice as much about finances as he did about eternity. I know that sounds crazy, but he did. 16 of the 38 parables he told, that's almost half of them, were about how to handle finances and wealth. There are 500 verses of prayer and faith in the Bible. There's over 2,000 that talk about possessions and money. So the question is, why? Well, the answer is that handling money is deeply spiritual. It's actually not as non-spiritual as you think. Think about the statement that, that, that Christ makes here in Matthew chapter 6. He says, hey, where your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. So wherever your wealth is, wherever the desires for more stem from, wherever your personal financial goals are, that's really where your heart's going to follow. There's nothing more that God wants in this world than your heart. And the direction your heart goes in, that's the direction your finances are going to go in too. And I'm going to tell you, man, if you get this wrong, it messes up your heart, which messes up your life, and that gets things even more complicated. Billy Graham once said this about finances. He said, hey, if a person gets their attitude toward finances straight, it will help straighten out almost every other area of their life. There's some truth to that statement, right? Why is money so complicated? Because again, it's spiritual. And if you can start looking at finances more from a spiritual perspective and less from a natural perspective, it's going to remove complications from your life. Can I just share with you something um, it's been burning on my heart for a long time, and, and, I, and I haven't shared it quite yet, but I'm going to share it here today publicly for everybody. One of the DNA points at Radiant that makes us who we are, that lays out the direction we want to go in as a church, is that we never want to stand before you guys or come to you online or whatever, begging and pleading for an offering to pay the bills and make everything work. 
You know, we, we don't give five-minute short sermons here before we give each week for two reasons. One, we trust God. God's going to come through for us. But two, we believe giving is an obedient form of worship that's between you and the Lord, okay? If you go to step one of our growth track, uh, if you're local here, uh, which we offer on the first Sunday of every month after service, you're going to learn about how we're structured at Radiant. And one of the things we talk about is money. Uh, we're, we're doing all we can in these early days. We're only five months old, by the way, as a church, to structure ourselves so that we never have to stand before you asking for financial miracles to keep in operation. And that's because we believe in, in building margin into our financial planning so that we're not living week to week as a church. I think the church really ought to model how to live responsibly with your finances, right? So when you create margin, you don't have to do big fundraising campaigns. You don't have to ask for gifts. You don't have to do those types of things. That's something we never want to do here at Radiant Church. Now, I will say there's one big offering we'll plan for and we'll receive at the end of every single year. Uh, and it's going to be in November at the end of a teaching series we're going we're gonna to do called Thanks and Giving, where we talk a lot about gratitude and giving. And I'll explain more about what that is when we get to the fall. But the bottom line is, I want you to understand that we are committed to being a financially responsible church. And so in Haggai, God has some tough words for the people of Israel. He wants them to reconsider their ways. Think about how they're living their lives, okay? In the New Testament, Jesus has some especially tough words as well about this same kind of subject matter found in Luke chapter 16. Look at Luke 16 verse 13. No one, he says, can serve two masters, for you'll hate one and love the other. You'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money, right? So in some older translations, the actual like, transliteration mammon is left where you see money. So if you grew up in church, maybe a much more traditional style church, you might have heard that term mammon before. It sounds kind of weird and funky, doesn't it? Um, otherwise, if you, if you didn't grow up in church, you're probably wondering, like, <laughs> what is that? Mammon what? You know, uh, there is not actually an English word for mammon. So you see money in a lot of translations because that's the closest English equivalent we really have. Um, but it's not quite like an accurate depiction. So what older translations did was they took the Greek word and they wrote it in English. That's what a transliteration is, okay? And so mammon in English is actually mamanos in Greek. And mamanos was the Syrian god of riches and wealth. And so for many people, there's a god of riches and wealth that they serve. And as a result, confusion and complication abounds in their life, in their marriage, in their families. You know, the old school pastors would preach against what they would call a spirit of mammon. And this is the stuff they were talking about. In fact, I want to spend some time today, if I can, just dispelling some lies the spirit of mammon will tell you today. Some things that are deceptions that we kind of fall for about finances. They're not plucked out of thin air. They're actually prevalent. Many of you, uh, listening today might discover you fall into one or two or more of these. Um, a lot of us have, if, you, if, if that's you, it's, it's, it's okay, it happens, right? Here's the first lie though. The first lie is this, that more money brings more security. So I'm gonna burst your bubble for a moment today. There's no such thing as financial security. It doesn't exist. Now here's why. You never can have enough. It's not necessarily that you're not, you know, you're, you're wealthy, always searching for more, because this is true whether you're poor or middle class, it doesn't matter. There's always more you're trying to obtain. You'll never actually have enough to feel 100% secure. Proverbs 18:11 says this, that the rich think of their wealth as a strong defense. They imagine, you know, imagine why? Because it's, it's, it's not true, right? 
they imagine it will be a high wall of safety. Hey, if I get enough, I'll be secure, I'll be safe, I'll be fine. And if you have that mindset, you wrap yourself around something that you think can protect you, but actually can't do that. There's never enough money to help with deflation or inflation. There aren't enough assets to hedge you. There's always another level to reach to feel um, you know, secure this time around, right? It just never actually ends. In fact, look at Hebrews 13, 5 and 6. I like the Living Bible and how it puts it. Stay away from the love of money, which by the way, money is not evil. All right, let's be clear. Money's fine. It's an object. What's evil is the love of money. It's greed. So be satisfied with what you have. For God has said, I'll never, never fail you nor forsake you. How many people put their trust in their ability to make money and provide for themselves, but place little trust in God's ability to do the same? He goes on to say, that's why we can say without any doubt or fear that the Lord is my helper and I am not afraid of anything that what man can do to me, okay? There are many things which can put fear in your heart. But remember, fear doesn't come from the Lord. Where does fear come from? It comes from the enemy, guys. It comes from the enemy. So when you're afraid, you start doing what? Well, you start collecting and gathering artificial means of security, which can't actually protect you in the end. So don't fall in that trap thinking you can make it all happen by yourself. It'll be secure if you get X, Y, or Z. There'll come a day in time where no matter how much you have, you're going to need God's provision. All right. Here's, here's line number two. What I own defines me. What I own defines me. You know, in Luke 12, 15, Jesus said it like this. Guard against every kind of greed. Life is not measured by how much you own. So much of life seems to be a giant comparison game. And on this one right here, I can really speak from personal experience. If there's one thing I've struggled with my entire life, it's comparison. If you've never struggled with this issue, it can be difficult to wrap your head around, you know, but let's just say there are plenty of times where I feel like I'm taking one step forward, but yet going three steps backwards at the same time. And the reason is when you struggle with comparison, you're struggling with temptation to keep up where other people are at. And not only is this not right, it actually stems from an inner source of greed. All right, I, I know. I'm confessing to you right now a struggle that I have in my life with, with greed. Pastors aren't perfect. Like, who knew pastors weren't perfect? I'm not. But I know that I'm not alone in this. Many of us struggle with the comparison game in different areas of our lives. And for some of you, you might struggle in the area of finances and wealth, feeling that, hey, I, I got to get involved in this never-ending need to pursue more money, more possessions, more whatever. You know, and if you're not working to diffuse that pursuit, your comparison will destroy you, your marriage, your family, everything. You can't take it with you when you go. Like life cannot be, and it is not measured by how much you own and what you have. Now I wanna spend some extra time on this final line today. This is where the bulk of our message is gonna come from. Um, and that's kinda of why I went through the first two a little bit more quickly. The third lie is this, my stuff belongs to me. That my stuff belongs to me. There, there's an old term out here growing up, and many, if you grew up in church, you heard that old term too, and it was called steward, right? I, we'd hear things like, you need to be a good steward. Now, nobody talks like that. <laughs> a steward is a manager. Why didn't we just say, hey, God's the owner, you're the manager, and your job is to manage what he's given you? <laughs> I don't know why we didn't say that. Anyway, you don't actually own anything. 
So all of your wealth, your possessions, your life, it's been given to you by God. He's the owner and you're the manager. And your job is to manage well the things that God has given to you. In fact, the more you have, the more God expects from you in terms of responsibility and accountability. In fact, Jesus himself said it at the end of a story that he told about being responsible with finances, Luke 12, 48. He said, when someone has been given much, much will be required in return. And when someone has been entrusted with much, even more will be required. That is an uncomfortable statement, right? Like, especially here in America, because we don't feel like we've been given much. And a big reason for that is we have a culture of entitlement and every single institution is affected by it. We feel as if we're owed something, but the truth is we're not owed a you know, single thing, right? Like we live in one of the greatest nations on planet earth. The poorest among us are still in the world's top 1%. Think about that. And still we as a nation, as a culture, we keep shouting from the rooftops in so many different areas of our society, give me more, right? Give me more. But God owns it all. He doesn't owe us anything. Everything we're given comes from him. I want you to listen to these words from King David in the Old Testament from 1 Chronicles 29. Listen to what he says. He says, everything in the heavens and on earth is yours, O Lord, and this is your kingdom. He's the king, and he's like, hey, God, this is your kingdom. It's not mine. We adore you as the one who is over all things. Wealth and honor that come from you alone. For you rule over everything. Power and might are in your hand. And at your discretion, people are made great and they're given strength. So we're given what we have from God. And David makes it really clear that wealth and status and position and power, it's all given to us by God, all from him. One of the things that God asks for us, by the way, after giving us all this stuff, is that we give some of it back to him. There's a very important principle which serves as a trigger word for a lot of people. And it's a word called the tithe. <laughs> yes, some of you are already triggered by it. And I completely understand why, because there's a lot of incorrect teachings and beliefs surrounding tithing. And the famous passage used almost universally when it comes to tithing, it comes from Malachi chapter three. Malachi three, well, I'm gonna read verses six through 10 for a moment, guys. that's commonly what's taught. The Lord says, speaking to Israel, I am the Lord and I do not change. That's why your descendants of Jacob are not already destroyed. Just for some context here, the Jewish people, should not, they were not serving the Lord as, as they should have been, okay? Ever since the days of your ancestors, you have scorned my decrees and failed to obey them. Now return to me and I'll return to you. This is the Lord of heaven's armies. But you ask, how can we return? We've never gone away. Should people cheat God? Yet you've cheated me, but you ask, well, what do you mean? Like, when do we ever cheat you? Listen to what the Lord says here. He says, you've cheated me of the tithes and the offerings that are due to me. And so you are under a curse and your whole nation has been cheating me. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse so there'll be enough food in my temple. And if you do, this is the Lord of heaven's armies, I will open the windows of heaven for you and I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it all in. Try it. Put me to the test, God says. So let me stop for a moment, right? Israel had been neglecting the tithe as one of the many things they were doing wrong in their walk with God in this time period. 
if you're not as familiar with what a tithe is, a tithe is a tenth of what you have. It's, today would be income. But back then, it was agriculture and livestock currency, any number of things which defined wealth. And so God was asking them to live off of 90% and give 10% back to him, doing the same thing for us here today. Remember, he owns it all. Like he's given you 100%. You're the manager. Now he's saying, just, just give me 10 of it back. Now notice he says in verse number nine, bring all the tithes into the storehouse. So what's the storehouse? Well, for the Jews, it was the temple. But for us today in our world, the storehouse is your church, your local church community. All right. The church isn't supposed to be just getting by by the skin of their teeth. The church should model to the rest of the world. You don't have to operate on 100% of everything you have down to the last penny living week to week. You can do things God's way. You can operate on a smaller fraction so you have margin, a storehouse concept, okay? When we have a storehouse concept, a storehouse mentality in place, when things happen around the world or happen right here locally in our community, we can step right in and be part of the solution instead of just sitting on the sidelines. And so God keeps going. He tells Israel, hey, put me to the test and see what will happen if you trust a, a little bit, right? You know, put God to the test. That's the only place where he really says that. He promises to, to bless you if you put him to the test, right? Now, I want to be really clear here. We don't give to be blessed or get a blessing. That's the wrong motivation. In fact, I would argue that's not even a good biblical motivation. We give to give so we can bless people. It's true that God blesses you, but it's not the motivation for giving. And if you don't believe me, ask any person who's tithed, who's given 10% of their income back to the Lord. I've done it since I was 15, and I'm telling you, God has always taken care of me. He's always blessed me. And this margin that he's given us has always enabled Shana and I to give back and to bless other people as well. Now, blessing doesn't mean you'll be healthy, wealthy, and wise. So we're not talking about something that's sometimes called like the prosperity gospel. I've got needs. I've had health needs and financial needs. I've had things not go my way. But at the end of the day, I've never worried if God has my back or not. No matter what I've faced or gone through, He's always been there. And the people of God have always been there too. That's the real blessing, guys, that God and the people of God together have your back and they're, they're helping you see some things through. So, but let's keep reading, all right? Let's not stop at verse number 10. There's more that God has to say. Look at verse number 11. Your crops will be abundant, for I'll guard them from insects and disease. Your grapes will not fall from the vine before they're ripe, says the Lord of Heaven's armies. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for, your, uh, for you uh, are such a delight, says the Lord of Heaven's army. Again, okay. so God explains that He'll protect Israel from destruction, and that the world will know that they're blessed and favored by God. When you give back to the Lord, uh, when you tithe, it doesn't mean he protects you from every bad thing. It's not going to do that. Here's what it does mean. And he won't allow those things to destroy you. So there's a man named Job who's probably the most blessed person in scripture. But his life was like hell on earth for a whole season. But he wasn't destroyed. He lost everything, but he wasn't destroyed. The enemy didn't win because God protected him. And when God is protecting you from destruction, other folks will notice. And what happens is you now have a starting point with which to explain and share the story of your walk with God and His faithfulness in your life. See, I, I, I know I'm going a little bit longer here today. I know, man, but stick with me here uh, because I want to go a little bit further and tackle a couple more things that are pertinent to this teaching. I hear a lot of Christians say things like, yeah, but when this topic comes up. And so one of the most common questions I'll hear is, yeah, but isn't tithing Old Testament law? 
And the truth is that, you know, it, it, it is Old Testament law, right? So Israel had to do it in the Old Testament, but guess what? In the New Testament, we get to do it. It's not something we have to do, it's something we get to do. It's also something which predates the law. So if you want to get really technical about it, <laughs> you know, uh, it's, it predates the law. You know, so is prohibition of murder. Like you, you can't walk around and just knock somebody off because you don't like them and say, hey, I can murder you, it's okay. I'm living in the New Testament promise. Like that's ridiculous, that's absurd. So the reason this principle matters though, let's not get tied up in the, in the Old Testament stuff. The reason why it matters is this, very practical sense. The first verse of the Bible, in the beginning, God, right? When I begin my day, I thank God. When I begin my week, I'm worshiping God with you guys together. When I begin my year, I'm putting God at, at first in my prayer and in his word. You know, we tithe because tithing communicates what? We're putting God first in our lives. I'm not telling you that you can't have a boat or a car or a second home or whatever. I'm telling you to think twice before putting all that ahead of God. Put God first. That's why we tithe. Deuteronomy 14, 23, the purpose of tithing is to teach you always to put God first in your lives. Here's another pretty common statement. Yeah, but I can't afford to tithe, right? I can't afford to tithe. And I want to start by saying, if you're struggling, man, I feel you. I've been there. Uh, there was a time in my life where I worked three jobs to pay rent. Like, I get that. But I still made a commitment to give back to the Lord. I still tithe. I, you know, if I could afford to eat out, if I could afford to go to a movie once a week, or whatever, uh, at, at that point, I knew that I could afford to give back. And so the hard truth is, uh, listen, if you're eating out three or four times a week, right? If you're paying for Netflix, you're taking that weekend getaway, you can afford for sure to give that to God. It's not that you can't, you know, it's that you haven't put God first. And here's the real, where the rubber meets the road at. For many of you, you're being held back by actual, real, tangible fear, okay? Like, you don't know what the rest of the month's going to look like. And so you say, well, I'll take care of this and all the stuff that I've got to take care of here first. And once I got all that lined up, I'll come back and give to the Lord. But the problem is, it plays out like this. You get everything lined up, taken care of, it gets to the end of the month, and you say, you know what, i got to save this a little bit, if there's anything left over, for the next month. And so God doesn't actually get anything. See, tithing, guys, is an act of worship. It's the act of putting God first. But it's also the act of trusting in the Lord. He tells the people of Israel to test him in Malachi, because he's reminding them that they can trust him. I want to share with you, man, real quick, that personally, Shana and I, we give to missions and missions work, you know, we actually can't afford to do that on paper. And you might say, well, that's not responsible of you, Pastor. But the truth is, we've built margin in our personal finances to do that. But we're also trusting in God. So we're tithing, and then we go above and beyond, which is what an offering is, going above and beyond the tithe. Above and beyond, believing and trusting in God and giving the missions. And He's never actually failed us yet. He's, he's always come through for us. Now I want to share one last common statement that I hear. And it goes like this, yeah, but does the church really need my money? Like, I hear you, Pastor, but does the church need my money for sure? And I'll be honest with you, the answer is both yes and no. So it's no in the sense that I believe that it's God's will that we as a church exist. So one way or another, whatever God wants to accomplish through Radiant Church is going to happen regardless of how it happens. So we're working in these early days right now to create systems and finances so that one day we can come to you and we can say, Everything you're giving is going directly to ministry. Nothing uh, that you give is going to go pay bills or administrative costs or overhead. It's 100% ministry. Now, we are a long ways from that goal. We're only five months old. But I believe we'll be there one day. And we're doing all we can to position ourselves to, to get to that place, okay? 
But here's why it's also a yes. We can't get to where we believe God wants us to go on our own. It takes you and it takes me to get there together. And there are a lot of things we need to take care of along the way uh, in carrying out the vision God has for Radiant. So for example, for you guys who are local and you've, you've been in Radiant before, I'm grateful that we have facilities to meet in right now. I know a lot of new churches who did not have a place to meet because of the pandemic. We were blessed with facilities that not only we can use to meet in, We've been able to bless other churches and ministries like Clemson University's FCA with a place to meet as well during this season, right? I'm glad we have facilities, but these facilities need a lot of work done to them. Like we need to maintain and upgrade numerous items and systems. I mean, just to give you an example, our HVAC system is by and large original to the building, which means it's like 20 plus years old, okay? Uh, we we, we got to take care of that. I, I, I know it's kind of cute right now to share the little memes on social media like, like this one you see on the screen. Uh, but the truth is uh, you, you, wouldn't, you wouldn't really go to that church if it was back in that time period, right? Like if we're trying to reach people who haven't come to faith in Christ yet, we have to make an investment in two very important areas. One of which is our facilities. The other one is our online presence. There's an entire online infrastructure we need to put in place to reach folks that can have limitless potential and impact. And to do that, it's gonna eventually cost thousands of dollars and a lot of man hours to make happen, right? Now I haven't even addressed other parts of the vision I believe that you know, we need to carry out. For instance, there's international and local missions works and missionaries we want to partner with and support to reach folks for Christ. Um, there's, there, we, have a, we have a vision for church planning. We want to plant churches. We want to send out church planning teams that will reach people in smaller and more rural towns and counties in South Carolina. You say, Pastor, why would we go to those places? Those are the places nobody wants to go to. And those are the places folks feel as if they're being left behind at. We want to go and bring the love of Christ to where those folks are at. So no, we don't need your money because ultimately God will provide, right? But yes, we do want your help in making this vision come to fruition. The more of you who help, the quicker it can come to reality, right? We want to have a storehouse mentality. Your finances don't have to be complicated. As you faithfully follow God's leading to give, His blessing overflows in your life. Now, I know this is much more of a matter of fact kind of talk today, but the one promise I can make to you is this, that I'm always going to be real and honest with you. And today, uh, I'm telling you that some of you have your hearts in the wrong place. Like you have some things that you love above God, and we've got to get to a place where all that gets reordered. See, Christianity isn't about joining a church. It's about reordering your life to get God at number one. Like he's your first love. He's not in your life. Um, he's not even a part of your life. God is your life. And so perhaps today you just say, hey, pastor, I just got to be real with you. Like, <laughs> he's not my life. You know, how do I fix that? And so in a moment, I'm going to lead you in a two-step prayer to make Jesus Lord and Savior of your life. Uh, and then I want to come back and I, and I want to challenge those of you who are already Christians today, that if you haven't, you know, been giving to the Lord, if you haven't been tithing, then hey, you need to reorder your life as well. And you can get started like today making that right. It's not a financial thing. It's, it's a spiritual thing. And if you get your finances in order and under the authority of Christ, I'm telling you, things will be a lot less complicated. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for each and every person today who's watching, listening from wherever they happen to be. Uh, Father, I pray for those uh, who are being honest today. They're saying, Pastor, I just, 
I don't, I don't think I'm right with God. I, I, I would say that, that I don't even have a right standing with him here today, but I want to change that. So, Lord, for those individuals right now, I, I pray that you would just comfort their hearts and bring peace to their lives. And I pray, Lord, that as they begin to open up their hearts in this two-step prayer we're going to say here in a moment, that, God, you would restore, uh, restore them to their original purpose and design that you have for them. Uh, you have a purpose for their lives, God. They're here for a reason. And uh, their story that they have right now, they've been kind of uh, walking through, Lord, that story is divinely written by you, warts and good things and all, so they can reach folks for you in your kingdom. And I'm glad today that they're saying, hey, I, I want to get right with God so that, you know, they can come into your kingdom, but also use the story they have, God, and the, and the purpose that you've given them to make a difference and reach folks for you as well. And so right now, if that's you, here's what I want to do. We're going to stay this two-step prayer starting off by making Christ our Savior first. So say a prayer like this. Just follow along with me in your own words. We're going to say a prayer just like this. Hey, Jesus, I'm sorry for my sin. Please forgive me for the wrong that I've done. Cleanse me from my sin and my, 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 my wrongs. Lord, I, I want this new life in you. I pray you would forgive me, and I pray that you would restore me, and I pray, Lord, that, that I would be uh, just, just pure in your sight now from this day forward. May I just have a brand new start a brand new life that you can give me uh, from this moment onward. And now we're going to make him Lord of our lives. We do that. It means that we're making him um, our, 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 our Lord in the sense that we are not following our, our own footsteps anymore. We're going to follow his footsteps. We're going to submit ourselves to him and be obedient to Christ. And he's going to guide us now. And so we, we pray now, Jesus, that you'd become Lord of our lives. And we no longer want to call the shots. We no longer want to do our own thing. We no longer want it to be about us. We are going to submit ourselves to following you, to obeying you, to being one with you. And I pray, Lord, that as we begin to do that today, as we begin to submit ourselves and be obedient to you and follow after your heart and your leading and your will and your standards, that you lead our lives, God. We're no longer about us anymore. We're now about serving you. Now, Father, you would take our, uh, our hearts and our lives and take that purpose you have for us, God, and use it to make an eternal difference in the lives of so many people in our families and communities, Lord, for your kingdom and your glory. We thank you for those who have accepted you as Savior and Lord here today. We celebrate that they're now part of your kingdom. And now, Lord, for those who are Christians already and, and, and they have been struggling with this mentality, this, they have not been, been giving back to you as they should, but they realize today, hey, you know what? I've, I've got to step up. I've got to get back to tithing. I've got to get back to giving and, and being a good manager of what God has blessed me with. I pray for those individuals today, Lord, that they wouldn't fall into those deceptions, those lies about finances and wealth, God. Uh, but, Lord, they would do things your way, that, that you would uncomplicate some things in their lives financially, that, that as they put you first and they give to you first and do things. Lord, I pray that you would just bless them. You, you, you said to your people in Malachi, just to test you in this, God. So I pray that, that, that you would bless these people, that, God, you would uh, protect them from, from the destruction, the enemy tries to bring about. That God, when, when difficult seasons come, they would know that, hey, you've got their back. You're going you're, you're gonna to come through for them, provide for them, Lord. That, Father, you're blessing them to be a blessing to other people. And that, Father, as they give more to you, that accountability and responsibility, God, is being carried out. And she will also provide more for them in return. 
to again be a blessing to those around them. And so, Lord, I thank you for what you're going to do in their lives and how as they get you number one, as they got begin to straighten out their finances, Lord, that other areas of their lives, I pray, just become uncomplicated. Father, we thank you for what you're going to do in their hearts as well. And we ask all of this in your mighty and precious name. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you have any questions or would like to reach out to us, you can do so by emailing us at media at or visit one of our social accounts on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. If you like what you heard today, subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss any future episodes and give us a five-star rating on the podcast platform that you listen to. We hope you have an amazing rest of your day.